In conjunction with what I had to say last night, I want to read to you from the Gospel of John, chapter 19, verses 23 and 24. You people are great and wonderful people, and I'm delighted to be here. Your worship is second to none, and I commend you for your love of Jesus and your uninhibitedness to express to him how you feel when you are in his presence. It is a joy to be with the prices. They're a family to me. I've lost all my family in the last five years. And I've adopted them and taken them in. And they've taken me in. And I'm delighted. In fact, I have a key to their house. <laughs> so I'm in. All of us need someone that we can be in subjection to. All of us need someone to guide us, no matter who we are or what our name may be. And Brother and Sister Price are people that I listen to, and I do pretty much what he says. You're safe if you do that. If you ever reach a place, and if there are young preachers here tonight, if you ever reach a place where you think you have it all together and you don't need anyone else, you're already finished. It's just a matter of time. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. I want to read tonight from the Gospel of John, chapter 19, verses 23 and 24. An unusual text, perhaps, but in conjunction with what I had to say last night, I want to read. The Bible says, Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts, to every soldier apart, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not rend it, but cast lots for it. Everyone say, gamble. Let us cast lots or gamble for it, whose it shall be that the scripture might be fulfilled which saith they parted my raiment among them and for my vesture they did cast lots. Everyone say gamble. These things therefore the soldiers did. I simply want to entitle this tonight. I want to gamble it all. Would you lift your hands and your voices in your hearts once again and would you, as you know how to do, entreat him to come very close to you. Lord Jesus, tonight we stand once again in this wonderful place where people have gathered to hear what thus saith the Lord, where people have come from every quarter and every walk of life to lift their hands and their voices. Dedication we have expressed consecration we have endeavored to fulfill but tonight O master of the universe walk into this house and help us to see you anew and afresh help us somehow I pray to be drawn closer to you help us not to be the same when we leave this tabernacle I'm asking for the anointing of the Holy Ghost both to hear and to speak we will not fail to give you the praise and the glory and the honor we ask all of these things in the matchless name of Jesus of Nazareth. And everyone said, Amen. The Lord bless you. You may be seated. Would you clap one great round of applause for the Lord tonight? You can already feel the anointing of the Holy Ghost here. And I'm going to ask you tonight as kindly as I can, please do not move in and out while I am preaching unless it's an absolute necessity. Would you clap again and would you shout with your voice unto the Lord. Hallelujah! We have come to worship you, Jesus. We have come, O oh Lord, to lift our hands and our hearts. We have come to hear the voice of the Lord speak to us. Let terrible conviction grip us. We will not fail to praise you. In Jesus' name. You may be seated. Within these United States of America, 
There are over 70 million gamblers in this country. The price of gambling in the United States is in the multiplied billions of dollars. It exceeds the total cost of education plus all health care programs plus all religious activity put together in the United States. There is something in the gambling community called a gambling junkie. In 1979, gambling was declared to be a sickness. They have something else they call in their community called compulsive gamblers. The urge is so severe. The urge is so great that a man will write a bad check to buy a sandwich, throw the sandwich away, take the change and go to the racetrack. A man who makes $30,000 a year at a job will spend twice that much gambling in the same year. Some have used credit cards to cover the cost of their habit or their sickness. The average gambler, they tell us, makes $43,000 a year, but he will spend $86,000 a year or twice that much somehow trying to appease the sickness that has a hold of him. What causes a person to gamble? They say that there are no known pat answers. However, all of them who gamble have the same characteristics. The characteristics are these. They are highly energetic. They are vigorously active. They are competitive. They are remarkably athletic. They are bright. And they are people who seem to be destined for success at a young age. In fact, they've developed a treatment center in Maryland. Over 40,000 compulsive gamblers per year go through this treatment center. And the treatment center occupies itself trying to somehow create a substitute behavior for the gambler, which the gambler will feel to be as stimulating as gambling itself. What is the sin of gambling? In the Old Testament, there were prohibitions against many things. And there was a prohibition against gambling. Because gambling is associated with the worst vice of the human heart, greed. Taking the children's bread and spending it at the races. We tonight here are Pentecostals, and we are against gambling. We are against it. In Bible school, they taught us that gambling was associated with the basest of men, associated with murder and corruption. The incredible thing for me tonight is to have read the scripture that I have read to you. It is amazing to me that at Calvary itself, Something was going on there that most of us do not stop to consider or to take note of. Lift your hands and worship the Lord for a moment. I really don't want you moving. Lift your hands and worship the Lord. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. The thing that we have not stopped to consider is that at Calvary, there were really two games going on there. At the foot of the cross, there were men, crude men, vile men, throwing dice at the foot of the cross, gambling for a piece of cloth. I don't know which was worse. I don't know which was worse. Their lust, their greed, that they could be occupied with something so base as a piece of cloth. I don't know which was worse, their brutality or their insensitivity to a man writhing in agony above their heads behind them and they did not seem to even notice. They could not hear the groaning. They could not hear the muffled sobbing of those victims behind them. They were preoccupied with dice, throwing dice in the dirt at the foot of the cross. They were gambling. But there was another game going on above their heads. And this game was for exceedingly high stakes. There was a man hanging on a cross above them. And he, 
he was betting his life, as it were, that men would be saved. It was being played that man might be lifted from the vile nature that he was in to something higher. One man wrote a poem, and the poem says, and sitting down, they watched him there, the soldiers did, while they played with dice. He made a sacrifice and died upon the cross to rid God's world of sin. He was a gambler too, my Christ. He took his life and threw it for a world redeemed. I wonder, I seriously wonder tonight, if gambling isn't the perversion of some God-given instinct that all of us have. A powerful instinct to risk themselves, to risk their possessions, to risk what we have, to risk whatever for something great. Our instincts are good. They're given to us by God. But instincts channeled in the wrong direction can become corruption and destruction. It's like a piano. It can be played here in this tabernacle as you lift your hands, as you lift your voices, or it can be played in a bar. Nothing wrong with the instincts. Nothing wrong with the instrument. It depends on how it is channeled. Is it possible that gambling is the degrading, the sinful misuse of some noble instinct in man? Let me read the characteristics again for you of those who are taken over by compulsive gambling. They are highly energetic. They are vigorously active. They are competitive. They are remarkably athletic. They are bright. They are people destined for success at a young age. Is it possible, then, that gambling is the perversion of some God-given instinct, something in us that wants desperately to do something noble and something good, but we cannot find the channel, we cannot find that thing that will satisfy. We have never been able to find it. Speaking of the world as a whole. Jesus said that men should lose his life that he might save it. If any man should save his life or use it for his own good, he would lose it. There's an old saying that a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. But it seems to me that the men of God whom I read about in the word of God were willing to take a risk to get the two that was in the bush. They were not willing to just settle for what they had. They wanted to risk it. They wanted to go on. They wanted to climb Mount Pisgah's lofty brow. They wanted to go to the top of Mount Sinai. They wanted to cross the Red Sea. They wanted to lift the torch behind, behind the terror of darkness. And they wanted to expose the evils of man. I can say to you tonight as a Pentecostal who has lived in this thing for 28 years now, I've seen a lot of things in 28 years. But there's something in me that is not content with what we have seen. There is something in me tonight that wants more than what we have seen and what we have done so far. We talked about this, Brother Price, at lunch today. Yes, we've had miracles, but we need more miracles. Yes, people have received the Holy Ghost, but more need to receive it. Yes, they're being baptized in Jesus' name, but more need to be baptized in Jesus' name. There is something inside of me tonight that is not content with the bird in the hand. I want the two in the bush, for it is written, These signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall cast out devils. They shall cast out devils. They shall cast out devils in my name name in my name they shall cast out devils and you've got them in your cities in this state but there's something inside of me tonight there is something inside of you tonight that is greater than anything that Madison can ever manufacture there is something in us tonight that is greater than anything that is manufactured by the devil in your city would you clap your hands would you shout with your voice of triumph tonight and would you lift the glory of worship to him.
there is something tonight that is trying something is trying to come in upon us it has been for the last four or five years I've noticed it before I have felt it in the spirit it breathes upon us in meetings like this something more wonderful than any human words can ever put into expression something more powerful than we've ever read about God seems to stand in the shadows and reaches his hands out into the light of our worship reaching for us Somehow in this camp meeting, may we get him out of the shadows. May he not just stand in the shadows, but may he walk out of the shadows into full view, into our lives, until apostolic procedures become ours, and the power and the glory of God, as it is supposed to be in the holy book, comes walking into our churches, and our people and our saints are never the same again. I want it. I want it. I want it. Gambling. Gambling isn't the right word for it. The terminology here tonight may not be correct. But what is important is that there is something in you and there is something in me that wants to risk it all. There is something in us that wants to give everything that we are. Something in you that can only be filled when you are challenged. Something in me that can only be filled when I am genuinely challenged. Faith. We'll call it faith. Faith is a better word. By faith, Abraham went out not knowing whither he went. It was a gamble. He looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. It was a gamble. It was a risk. He left everything. He left it. A farmer who plants the seed. I grew up in Iowa. I noticed tonight the corn here is knee high. That's a good sign for a farmer if the corn is knee high by the 4th of July. But when he plants the seed, he does not know how the elements will treat it. He doesn't know what the summer sun will do or the wind or the rain or the flood. Or the drought. It's uncertain. It is a gamble. Marriage, for example, is taking a risk. You make preparation for it. You get counsel. You read books. You study. Trusting that 15, 20, 25 years down the road, that that person will still be faithful to you. For better or for worse, it's a risk. For richer or poorer, we make you quote, in sickness and in health, it is a risk. Life itself is a gamble. We don't know about tomorrow, but we have today. We don't know about tomorrow morning, but we have this moment in time. We have this moment in time. And what we do with this moment in time will affect the rising of the sun tomorrow. That's why if you feel Jesus tonight in this place, you need to get everything out of it you possibly can. If you feel him walking by you, you need to touch the hem of his garment. Forget the person beside you. Forget whatever it is you feel. Forget the problem of this day but if you can feel him at all you need to get a hold of him tonight because you may never feel this way again tomorrow morning may be too late as for me I can feel him in this place he is alive among you people tonight as you have worshipped as you have danced as you raise your hands now as you stand what is it that makes this full grown man dance and shout and walk he doesn't seem to be embarrassed he doesn't seem to be ashamed he doesn't seem to care what visitors think. You know why? Because he can feel something. And there really is something. There really is something here that transcends human logic and reasoning and understanding. It is the power of the risen one. This man called Jesus. This one that we have come to worship and adore tonight. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. He deserves a standing ovation. He deserves a shout. He deserves a clap. He deserves a run. He deserves a leap because of what he has done for the likes of us. I tell you tonight as a man of God, there is nothing like it. There's nothing like this. There never has been. There never will be again. The bars don't have it. The discos don't have it. The houses of ill repute do not have it. But we have it. We people here tonight who are born again of the water and the spirit, we have this thing, this eternal life, this fire that cannot be shut up, this glory and this power that is inside of us. Hallelujah. Oh. 
Hallelujah. You may be seated. There is a man. There is a man who has gone over the spirit of the centuries for the past 400 years. This man says that the 17th century was the most noble century of all. Because in the 17th century, men were willing to risk. They were willing to take risk. There were reformers who knew, for example, that John Huss had been burned at a stake, who knew that Savonarola had been hung and then burned, who knew that the Albigenses had been burned and killed from one end of France to the other, who knew that the Walden Seas had been horribly persecuted, but yet nothing could deter them. Nothing could stop these people. I remember in Bible school reading an account of how they were to, they captured the Christians in church history days and they brought them in and they tried to demand them to recant their faith in Jesus. They tried to make them denounce their faith in this Jesus Christ, but they would not. They would not stop clapping. They would not stop worshiping. They would not stop speaking with tongues. They would not stop gathering together secretly. And when the church in history found them, they took the men and wrapped them in chains and dangled them from the end of poles. And they would build a fire under them. And they would lower these men in chains into the fire and hold them there for several minutes and then lift them out and then lower them again. Church history says that thousands of people came to watch this. But the man dangling in the chain who was being roasted alive refused, refused, they refused to recover. They refuse to deny this Holy One of Israel. They literally roasted them alive in the fire for their faith. They took the women and tied their hands behind their backs and their children and they held them under water until they stopped breathing. I read one account where a man, when the persecution hit, he signed a document denouncing Jesus and recanting his faith. But when the persecution subsided, there was the most horrible conviction that gripped him. And he came back to the authorities and confessed that he had lied, that he was a believer. And with the hand that had signed the document of his own volition, of his own free will, ladies and gentlemen, he held his hand in the flames of fire until it burned to a crisp and fell off in the fire. Church history says that hundreds were converted as they watched such a thing. Perhaps, perhaps... Polycarp is the most well-known martyr of those early years of persecution in church history. He was 86 years old when he was apprehended and they brought him to a stake and piled wood around his feet and began to tie his hands. He said, no, don't tie my hands. Let me stand here by my own power. They said, old man, we will allow you to walk out of this wood and this fire that's about to be lighted if you will denounce this faith, if you will give up this faith, his most famous words will ring in my heart until the last breath that I breathe. That old man looked at them, no doubt a Christian exactly like we are because Polycarp knew John the Beloved. Polycarp was an apostolic father. John the disciple and Polycarp's lives had overlapped and they knew each other. Polycarp stood there and he said, Eighty and six years have I served him and he hath done me no wrong. I cannot and I will not deny him. And without his hands being tied, he stood in the flames of fire. He gave his life for a man called Jesus. He gave his life for a man called Jesus. He risked it all. But then here we are in 1990 and we fuss about things that aren't even important. We fuss about things that have no meaning at all. We get bent out of shape if this one doesn't speak to us. We don't like the way this one did that or that one did that. It doesn't really matter. Let me tell you something here, folks, tonight. In a hundred years from now, it's not going to matter anyhow. If it's not going to matter in a hundred years from now, it shouldn't matter tonight. It shouldn't matter tonight. You ought to forget it all. Forget it, forget it, forget it, forget it, forget it. 
Shake yourself loose. Get rid of those things. Get rid of those weights. Empty out your heart in this camp meeting. Rid yourself of the weights that doth so easily beset us and begin to run like you've never run because we are the rapture generation. We are the rapture generation. We are the rapture generation. If this singing tonight did not move you, if this singing tonight did not move you, I don't know what will. I can hardly wait to see him. I can hardly wait to see him. I can hardly wait to see him. It's going to be a glorious day. It's going to be a wonderful day when I lift my hands and behold his face. The 17th century, the 17th century is declared to be the most noble century of all. It was a man whose name was Luther, Dr. Martin Luther. He stood before the princes and dukes of Europe and he said, God help me, I can do nothing else. Here I stand, God help me. He risked literally everything. They risked it all. Nothing would stop them. Nothing could stop them. There was no way to defeat them. They would not give in. They would not recant. They risked it all. They sailed around the world in the 17th century to discover new lands. The one you live in was discovered by a 17th century Christopher Columbus. They risk it all. But in the 18th century, men began to talk about reason. And in the 19th century, men began to talk about economics. And in the 20th century, men began to talk about security. Hold a job for a certain number of years that they might have a monthly pension at the end of life. In religion also, there is a desire to take a risk. There's a desire in religion to take a risk. And who would know tonight what God would do for the individual that would take their life and throw it and say, God, everything that I am, everything I ever hoped to be, I lay it at your feet. I cast it at your feet. Take me, my insecurities, my imperfections, everything that I am. Take what I am. Take my aged years. Take my youth. But I throw it at your feet. I'm going to risk it all. I'm going to give it all. Who would know tonight what God would do with a person like that? Who would know what God would do with a soul. Some have said that religion is betting your life that there is a God. Some have bet their lives that there was no God. Some men have given their entire lives to prove that there is no God, only to find at the end of life a terror more terrible than any human tongue could ever describe. One man dying said, I would gladly give $150,000 to have it proven that there is no hell. Until this moment, I thought there was neither a God nor a hell, said Sir Walter Scott. Now I know and feel that there are both and I am doomed to perdition by the just judgment of the Almighty. Hobbes cried out, and he said as he died, I am taking a fearful leap into the dark. I am lost, 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 cried the infidel Adams when dying. I am damned, damned, damned forever. His agony was so great that he tore his hair from his head as he passed away. Oh Christ, cried Voltaire. Oh Lord Jesus, I must die abandoned by God and man. For his condition had become so frightful 
that his infidel associates were afraid to approach his bedside after he passed away his nurse said repeatedly for all the wealth of Europe for all the crown jewels for all the diamonds for all the rubies for all the pearls for the, all the emeralds I don't ever want to see another infidel die stay with me stay with me pleaded pain for God's sake don't leave me I cannot bear to be left alone the devils are come the devils are come hell and damnation cried freedom as he passed away give me more opium pleaded marabou give me more opium that i may not think of eternity give me more opium when Kay was dying he cried hell 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 with a terror which no pen can describe it was more than his family could endure and they fled from the house until everything was quiet i remember when i was in bible school at abi i worked in a photo lab to help work my way through school and there was a salesman who came in with supplies and i witnessed to everyone that came through those doors every day of my life i was in school and this man came in and i took the supplies and then i began to witness to him when i finished witness he looked in my face with a smirk on his face and he said sir he said i don't want to disappoint you he said but i am an atheist i said you are you are the most interesting person i have ever met how did you arrive at such a conclusion he said oh i've talked to lots of people and i've read books i said sir i don't want to disappoint you nor do i wish you any ill will but i would like to be standing at your bedside when you are dying i've got an idea i've got a feeling that you will change your mind in those last moments of time and his face paled there was one undertaker who came to us at abi and this undertaker said it is our job as undertakers to make the cadaver or the body look peaceful to make them look content to make them look like they are peaceful and like they are in a state of happiness he said but we pick them up out of the gutters we pick them up out of old dingy hotels he said some of the victims so thin and so emaciated from hunger and sickness they have actually crawled to the top of steel headboards and they are clinging like animals with their faces contorted in fear he said we pry them loose from bedsteads and we tried to work with the body he said we cannot get the face to go into any kind of a of a state or an expression of contentment he said the muscles are drawn with fear they are drawn with agony he said but you pentecostals he said we have handled business from this church here for 35 years he said you folks are different he said it's no difficulty to get you to look peaceful he said the smile just automatically is there he said we don't know what it is we said we'll tell you what it is it's something called the baptism of the holy ghost it's something called the baptism of the holy ghost jesus said my peace i give unto you my peace i leave with you <laughs> jesus jesus let me share this with you for just a moment i like to shout i like to dance i like it when pentecostal services are upside down and everybody is just falling out and speaking with tongues and being carried home drunk on the spirit nobody likes it better than i do but i have come to believe that in spite of all the dancing and the shouting and the weeping for joy and the running and the falling out of the trances i am convinced that the greatest experience of all for a pentecostal is death can you imagine here tonight to close your eyes in death this second and the next second to open them in paradise it's got to be the greatest of all experiences 
And just remember this. If anything happens to me, God forbid if I get killed one way or another, just remember this. By the time you get the news, I will already have met him. I will already have met Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I will have seen David. I will have seen Paul. I know what Peter will look like. I'll see my mother. I'll see my grandmother. I will already have met them. So don't grieve for me. Rejoice and live for him. Because one of these days, we're all going to get there in the clouds of glory. It's going to be a wonderful day. It's going to be a wonderful day. It's going to be a glorious day. When we see him, can you clap? Can you give some physical credence to all of this? Can you feel? Can you see what I'm talking about? This, this Pentecostal religion, this Pentecost is betting your life that there is a Holy Ghost. We've left it all. There are some here tonight whose parents have denounced you. Some have lost families. Some have lost estates. Some have been disinherited. They have risked it all. They have bet everything as it were. That there is a Holy Ghost. Upon a life I did not live. Upon a death I did not die. I have staked my entire eternity. His name is Jesus. Uh, upon a life I did not live. Upon a death I did not die. I have staked my entire eternity. More than half of my life now has been lived believing that one of these days, morning, noon, or night, I'll be walking somewhere perhaps. I'll take a step and my foot will catch on the air. It'll never touch the ground again. It'll never touch the sidewalk again. I'll just be walking along and suddenly I'll take a step and my foot will catch on the air and there'll be a movement in the heavens. There'll be a shout. There'll be a voice. There'll be the trump of God. The dead in Christ shall rise first. There'll be a shaking and I will feel myself rising in the air. I'm not going to need an American Airlines ticket. I don't need United Airlines. I've got everything I need inside of me. That Holy Ghost Son that's making you jump up and down is the power that's going to get you out of here one of these days when Jesus comes in the clouds of glory. You're going to go just as surely as we're in this place tonight. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Lift your hands and just worship the Lord. Let your voice out in the name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Uh, hallelujah. 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 We talk, we talk about the rapture. We talk about Jesus coming. But you know when he will come? I tell you when he will come. He will come on an ordinary day. A day just like every other day. That's when tragedy always strikes, you know. The day feels just like every other day. You get up, you're standing at the sink, you're driving to work, you're working in the machine shop, you're at school. A day like every other day and suddenly the doorbell rings, the phone rings. 
someone comes to you on the job and says, I'm sorry, but there's been an accident. On an ordinary day, a day like every other day, suddenly, it'll just happen. Suddenly, it will just happen. And I've got this feeling that he's coming. How can I say that? Because several years ago, there was an earthquake in Yellowstone National Park. When the earthquake was over, the rangers went in to find the dead animals, to collect them, only to discover that prior to the earthquake, all the animals where the earthquake occurred had left the entire region. They sensed it was coming. Now, if animals can sense something in the earth, in the natural, then those of us who are filled with His Spirit, we can begin to sense the urgency. You can feel it. The magnetism. The pull in the air. If you want Him to come, would you lift your hands? Would you let your voice out? Hallelujah, Jesus. George Washington took a bunch of farmers and made the most powerful army in the entire world. He defeated the British Empire. When they signed the Declaration of Independence, someone said, we had better all hang together or we will all hang separately. Nathan Hale proved that with his own life. As a man of God here tonight, I am saying to those of you who are able to hear, those of us who want revival, those of us who believe in it, we had better hang together. Because if we don't, we will hang separately. We had better talk it. We had better preach it. We had better live it. Revival is the only answer to worldliness. Revival is the only answer to backsliddenness. Revival is the only answer to demonology. Acts 2.38 is the only answer to heathenism and to demonology. And it's trying to sweep this country over. But the Bible says greater is he that is within you than he that is in the world. Do you know tonight... Do you know how I interpret that scripture? Greater is he that is within you than he that is in the world. It means to me that no matter how bad that mess gets out there, it can never get greater than what is in this building tonight. It can never get greater. No matter how bad it gets, it can never get greater than this Holy Ghost that is inside of me. You talk about a power. You talk about a shaking. You talk about a thrill. You talk about joy. It is joy unspeakable. It is the fullness of glory. It is, as the prophet said, like a fire shut up in our bones. We need to quote it. We need to sing it. We need to shout about it. And there is a fervor. And you're not ashamed to worship. You've got everything going for you. You've got everything going for you. Why don't you just go out and risk it all? Why don't you throw it all and say, Jesus, here I am. Here I am. Hallelujah. Jesus, speak to us. Speak to us. Our hearts individually. Convict us and draw us. It's going to happen. It's got to happen. Not because I say so, but because it is written that in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. There's going to be the building of a latter house. There's going to be the falling of a latter rain. Not because I say it, but because it is written. It is written. It is written. It is written. We're going to have a revival. 
We're already having it. We're already having it. This place is packed out on the second night. There's joy, there's power here, like there was on the last night when I was here two years ago. There's revival in this district. There's revival in your churches. They're gonna come from the north and the south. They're going to come from the east and the west. They're gonna come from everywhere, Brother Grant. There's no devil in hell that can stop it. You know why? Because it is written, it is written, greater is he that is within you than he that is in the world. So you can be encouraged. You can lift up your head. You can lift up your hands. You can worship him every time you go to church. You can depend on what Jesus said. You can depend on him. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. Hallelujah, Jesus. George Washington, George Washington tried to bring something to earth that had never been before. George Washington gave birth to liberty. Patrick Henry said, give me liberty or give me death. But in 1990, people are saying, give me security or give me death. That's why suicide is at an all-time high. People are insecure. They have no future, they feel. But I pray. I pray for myself. I pray for you. God, God, give me some role to play in life that will have meaning. Just give me some role to play in life that will have meaning. Don't let my living be in vain. Don't let me occupy space in this world. Let us give ourselves for this great gospel. Let us give ourselves for this gospel. I've known some people that I've never doubted but what everything they had was invested in this great truth. I've known some people that I never doubted but what everything they had and everything they were was invested in this great truth. But I've known some others that were just corrupt politicians. No burden for the laws. No concern for church growth. Content with the designated amounts of incoming ties. But throw it all on the line for Jesus Christ. The yes.
Wonderful. You may stand or you may be seated, but I want to conclude with this. Throw it on the line for Jesus Christ. The sin of the cross was not that they were gambling per se, but that they gambled for such trivial things. A piece of cloth, a crop, a name, a little money. Yet Jesus laid down his life saying, there is something in the human breast that will respond to what I am doing. Because if I be lifted up, all men will be drawn unto me. All men. What is? What is crucifixion? What is crucifixion? A medical doctor provides a physical description. The cross is placed on the ground and the exhausted man is quickly thrown backwards with his shoulders against the wood. The legionnaire feels for the depression at the front of the wrist. He drives a heavy square wrought iron nail through the wrist and deep into the wood. Quickly he moves to the other side and repeats the action, being careful not to pull the arms too tightly, but to allow some flex and movement. The cross is then lifted into place. The left foot is pressed backward against the right foot, and with both feet extended, toes down, a nail is driven through the arch of each, leaving the knees flexed. The victim is now crucified as he slowly sags down with more weight on the nails in the wrist. Excruciating fiery pain shoots along the fingers and up the arms to explode in the brain. The nails in the wrist are putting pressure on the median nerves as he pushes himself upward to avoid the stretching torment. He places the full weight on the nail through his feet. Again, he feels the searing agony of the nail tearing through the nerves between the bones of the feet. As the arms fatigue, cramps sweep through the muscles, knotting them in deep, relentless, throbbing pain. With these cramps comes the inability to push himself upward to breathe. Air can be drawn into the lungs but not exhaled. He fights to raise himself in order to get even one small breath. Finally, carbon dioxide builds up in the lungs and in the bloodstream and the cramps partially subside. Spasmatically, he is able to push himself upward to exhale and bring in life-giving oxygen. Hours, people, hours. This medical doctor says hours of this limitless pain, cycles of twisting, joint-rending cramps, intermittent partial asphyxiation, searing pain as tissue is torn from his lacerated back as he moves up and down against the rough timber. Then another agony begins, a deep crushing pain, deep in the chest as the pericardium slowly fills with serum and begins to compress the heart. It is now almost over. The loss of tissue fluids has reached a critical level. The compressed heart is struggling to pump heavy, thick, sluggish blood into the tissues. The tortured lungs are making a frantic effort to gasp in small gulps of air. He can feel the chill of death creeping through his tissues. Finally, he can allow his body to die. All this and more the Bible records with the simple words, and they crucified him. What wondrous love is this? What incredible story is this? Medical doctors say, and I close with this, when the soldiers came to the cross, the Jews in the temple <coughs> had commanded the Roman soldiers to go to take these bodies down off these crosses outside the old city wall because they didn't want to desecrate their high holidays. They didn't want naked bodies hanging along the road as they celebrated their Passover. 
So their soldiers came with clubs to break the bones and the legs of the victims to hasten death so they could take the bodies down. And they did beat upon the two thieves and broke them until they gave way to death and the body was crushed. But when they came to this central figure whose visage was marred more than any man, he was already slumped in death. But that was not enough for them. They took a spear, one soldier did, and they pierced his side. And the Bible says that forthwith came blood and water. Medical authorities tell us that there is no way for blood and water to collect in the pericardium. It is impossible for it to get in there unless the heart ruptures or breaks open. If this is correct, then the immediate cause of the death of Jesus was he died of a broken heart for the likes of you and me. <coughs> Let's worship the Lord with him. Would you lift your hands? <coughs> On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain so I'll cherish the old rugged cross is there anybody here tonight that would come and say I want to give it all I want to gamble it all I want to gamble all of my, uh, my life all that I am. I just want to give it. And exchange it someday for a crown. So I'll cherish the old rock Keep on coming, keep on coming, push your way in, I want to gamble it all, I want to take what I am, I just want to throw it all at the feet of this Jesus and, ex and exchange. And exchange it someday for a crown. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my hope is at Yeah. Hey. 